This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. Chapter 1. Today I've titled my message, Who Am I? Who am I really? You know, if I want to grow in the things of God, one, I need to know who I am, and I need to know who He is, because He causes me to grow. So that's what I'm titled today, Who Am I? John chapter 1, starting at verse 43 down to 51. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth, Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your precious word. Lord, as we open up your word here today, I pray that you be glorified in everything that's said and done today, Father. Open our eyes, unblock our ears, Father, that we would see and know that you are reaching out to each one of us because you have a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. So we just commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As Nathaniel was being brought to Jesus, Jesus already knew all about him. He could see right through him. He knew that he was a true Israelite. There was nothing false about him. There was no deceit within him, no falsehood, no duplicity. And what we can see is that when we stand before God, he's going to see everything about it. He knows all about us. He doesn't see us as, as man see. When we meet each other, you know, we look at the outer appearance. You know, in um, 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel was looking for a king, he was looking at all the sons of Jesse, and he was looking at their outer appearance. And God spoke to him and says, man looks at the outer appearance, but I look at the heart. God was looking for a man who had the heart after him. And that's what, when we come before God, he won't see this outer appearance. He sees what's in here. He sees right through us. You know, one of the things that happen when we come into a closer relationship with people, when we come into a a close relationship with others around us, it can be very revealing because what's in us starts to be be, be shown up. It can be fearful. It can be fearful for some because will we be received or will we be rejected? Because when you come close to someone, you become very vulnerable. And so truth starts to arise, and sometimes we're not too sure how that's going to go. But how refreshing, how encouraging it is to know that the one who knows us best and see right through us loves us best. 
He loves us more than anything. So it's a real encouragement to know that when we come before God, he can see right through all of the, all of the crash, all the stuff on the outside. He can see right to the very heart of us. He knows us better than anybody. He loves us. Jesus Christ the Lord. You know, I was staying with friends years ago in Melbourne, and on Sunday morning we went to church with them. And that morning the uh, assistant pastor, he's just a young bloke, I, I don't know whether it was his first sermon he was going to preach, but everyone was pretty excited about hearing what this young bloke had to say. This was years ago. It was a good sermon because I can still remember that today. Because his opening comments were, he got up to preach and he said, all right, before we start, let's all go back out to the car park, take off our face masks, put them in the car, and we'll come back and we'll get real. And I thought, wow, that's bold. I've never heard that before. But more and more I've thought about that over time, and I thought, how true that is. So my first point this morning is, why do we wear masks? You know, we've just come off a, a season of wearing face masks for medical reasons. Now this goes right back to Leviticus, where when anyone who had a, a, a disease, they contacted a really bad disease, they were to cover their mouths and they were to separate, and they, whenever they went about, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean so that their disease wouldn't spread to others. But that was a medical thing, and we've just come off that, and the reason we were wearing face masks was because of the medical assistance that that brought. But there's another mask that we wear. It's a mask of our soul. We unintentionally put that on because we want to hide some things from others. Sometimes we don't want people to know what's really going on inside of us. And so we read... We kind of live this double life. Now, we, we showed a movie once out at Stanhope Hall once. It was called Super Christian. And this young guy got up on Sunday morning. He put on his Superman suit. He went to church. He was on fire for God. He was a super Christian. He did everything good on Sunday at church. But for the rest of the week, he was my old man in Clark Kent. And he went back into his ways of the world and he did everything of the world. But come Sunday, on goes the Superman suit again. And once again, he's Superman, super Christian. But he's leading a double life. That spoke to me too. But my family, we used to go to church. Most of the time we would, we would go off to church. I wasn't a Christian. I was a churchgoer. But I wondered, just out of the blue... No one said anything to me. No one spoke to me. No one did anything. But right out of the blue, I just got convicted one day that I was being a hypocrite. The words that I spoke, the language I used, the things I did were different in church and around my church friends to what they were in the world. And right back then, the Holy Spirit brought conviction, even before I was a Christian. So God was already doing a work. He was starting to clean up what was on the inside of me. And, you know, when, when you live this kind of a life, you're living in a kind of fear because you're always concerned that people from the Christian family would know what I'm like in my other family. My other family would know what I'm like when I'm a Christian. And so you're living in this kind of fear all the time that I don't want to be found out and suddenly I'll lose my mask. I don't want that. You know, when I got saved, I finally got there, I got saved... Jesus come in, cleanse me, but 
first time I was to share my testimony, I asked the Lord to show me a scripture that described the best description of my life. And he took me to Matthew 23. If we could just go over there. Matthew 23. It's not a good description, but God doesn't leave us where we were. He takes us to a new place. Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look good and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, my mask was that I looked good on the outside to people around me, but on the inside I was a mess. But that day when I invited Jesus to come into my life, he didn't clean up this, he cleaned up in here. He cleaned out the mess that's in my heart and he made me clean on the inside. What a day of rejoicing it is when the Saviour comes and cleans us up on the inside because he loves us. Now, sometimes people have a very bad upbringing. You know, some of the testimonies that I've heard, people have come from really, really bad background, really struggled in life. Seems like nothing good's happened to them. They put on a mask because that's their, that's their protection. As children that have been abused, they put up a wall or a mask because it's the only way they can cope. But when we come to maturity, the Holy Spirit brings us to that place where he wants to take that off. He wants to set us free. He wants to show us his way to life. That's not the way he intended it to be. His way is the way. And so he made it possible for us to come to a place where it's safe to take off the mask and to get real with him. A few weeks ago, the, uh, the writer of the Word for Today had an illustration of, an, of a, a person with a, an operation on their body. And after time, the outer wound heals really good. But on the inside is scar tissue. And that scar tissue, this causes distress, pain, discomfort. And so that's what God wants to do. He wants to clean up on the inside, not just the outside, clean up on the inside. You know, when I was doing the Army Reserve tra training years ago, it was when the Vietnam War was on. Some of those guys, that when they returned from the war over in Vietnam, they went through some horrible, horrible situations. Some of them shared some of their stories with me. But when they came back, you know, they tried to assimilate back into life. They tried to do normal life. But they were so damaged on the inside, they just found life far too hard. A lot of them ended up in motorbike gangs, grouped together where they accepted one another and cared for one another. And on that note, you'll see there's a, a couple of pamphlets up on the wall at the back there. Bianca Dybell is going to do a march starting from the 31st of March. She's going to walk three and a half kilometres a day, which is in accordance with the three for the entire length of the Kokoda Trail. And this is for to raise funds for these veterans' mental health. Suicide rate in veterans is very high. And so could I just ask you to, uh, I think Bianca's out the back with the children today. So afterwards, sister, if you want to support that march that she's going to do to raise funds for a good cause for these veterans, 
who struggle when they come home from war. You know, there's many different things that happen to us in our life's journey that have an impact into the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others. As parents, family, teachers, friends, etc. There's many different things during our life course that have an impact on the way that we live, the way we see things. You know, I was blessed. I had really good parents. Not everybody has that same blessing. But even as good as my parents were, I discovered that they weren't perfect either. And when I look back at my parenting, oh my gosh, things that I could have done, things that I should have done and didn't, and then I realise I'm not perfect either. It's just a real reality into our lives when we realise that we need change. You know, stories of my dad, he had a really bad time at school. Only small schools in those days in the country. One teacher, and dad's teacher was not real good. He never had a good word to say about that lady. I don't know how all the other students went, but dad was left really badly damaged after that. When he left school, I don't know how long he was at school, he could hardly read or write. All dad could do basically was sign his name. But he trusted everyone. So many times I was with dad, he, would go, he had a little bit of money in his wallet, but mainly with his checkbook. And whatever he bought, wherever he went, he would give the person his checkbook, and you write out the check and I'll sign it. He trusted it. There was one time I remember there was a business sent him a check back. He'd paid it twice. I don't know whether that would happen today or not. But Dad's handshake, Dad shook on something, that was it. It was a done deal. He never went back on it. Dad gave you his check, that check went through. There was trust. So even though Dad couldn't read or write, there were some good things implanted into him. His mother was a born-again Christian. And that's what they, they say about us kids. Remember, my brother said once, oh, did you ever hear Grandma say that every night she prays for all of us kids? And I heard once, someone say once, if you've got a praying grandmother, give up. You won't win. That'll happen with us. Grandma was praying. You know, Dad masked it so well that a lot of people wouldn't have even known that he couldn't hardly read or write. Because I asked Mum one day, he reads the newspaper. How does he do that? She said, you'll find he's looking at the headlines and looking at the pictures. And he was discerning. <laughs> he got it wrong sometimes because the headlines don't always tell you the truth, do they? And as I grew up too, our peers, they have an impact on us. You know, we, we all want to be accepted. We all want to fit in. And so we start doing things that our mates are doing that we don't really want to do, but we don't want to be left aside either. So we start to do things that's just going to, eh, it'll be all right. But we don't realise the impact that it's having and the, and the little core that's starting to build inside of us that's not good. So we just need to be aware of those things. We, we put on a mask just to try and hide who we really are because we want to look like the rest. But, you know, for myself, I had one thing that was a good impact on my life. We, we were taken to Sunday school right from a little bloke. I loved Sunday school. And that birthed the seed in there. You know, we had to learn John 3.16. We had to learn the Lord's Prayer. And all of those little things at the time were birthing something good. So even though we have bad impacts, sometimes we have good things that happen. And God can take those good things and he can cause that seed to grow. He'll water it and he'll make it grow. I learnt 
about Jesus and the Christian way of living. And that was a good impact for me. So there's many different things that happen can cause us to put on a mask and we try to do life pretending all is well. How are you going? Oh, I'm going good. How are you? <laughs> we fake it. Many times we've been in the doctor's surgery waiting to see the doctor and there's others in there. G'day, mate. How are you going? Oh, I'm going really good. How are you going? Um, what are you near for? You know? <laughs> yeah, we fake it. We put on a mask. So how can we take off this mask? How can we be set free from wearing a mask? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. Freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are set free by the blood of Jesus. In this verse here, the freedom that Paul was speaking about, he was being set free from the burden of the law, trying to live up to the rules of the law. Jesus said that if we hold to his teaching, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. Now I can be the real me because Jesus set me free. I don't have a fear of what man says. I know my God loves me, so I can be the real me. When we discover our true identity in Christ, then we can become the real person God created. But before we can discover who we are, we need to discover who God is. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he's able to be in all places at all times. So there's nothing about us, there's no place we can go, that God's not there and he doesn't know where we are and he doesn't know what we're doing. He's there. He's all-powerful. He created us in his likeness, in his image. He knew us before we were even born. He has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. No one is a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Every one of you is precious and unique. You are part of God's creation. God loves his creation. Jeremiah 31.3 it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God doesn't love us today and stab us in the back tomorrow. You make a mistake, that's it, you're done out. I'll go and find somebody else. No, he picks us back up. He gives us another chance. Get back on your bike. Come on, you can do this. Yeah, life's tough. Yeah, someone come and knocked you off your bike. That's not nice. But come on, you can do this because I'm with you. He loves us so much. This is the true and living God. He brought us into this world, but yes, it is a fallen, broken world. There's much going on in the world that I don't understand. There's much happening in the world that I would like to see fixed, but I'm brought back to that place where I can't fix everything, but I know God can, and I know God's working to a plan. He's working out his eternal plan. There's a day when he's going to return. He will return, and he's working that out piece by piece, step by step, and there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to come back. Then we'll have peace on earth because he will put it right. When we discover who God is and his amazing love and his grace toward us, we can be set free from the curse of sin and death. We can take off our masks because God accepts us as we are through his son, Jesus Christ. So I read a story the other day from 
Peter Cazero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is a testimony of a lady named Sheila Walsh. She was a Christian singer, writer, and former co-host of the 700 Club. She told the story of how in 1992 her disconnected spirituality caused her to hit the wall. She said, one morning I was sitting on national television with my nice, nice suit, inflatable hair. That night I was in a locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing that God could have done for me. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, who are you? Oh, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. No, that's not what I meant. He said, well, I'm a writer and a singer. That's not what I meant. Who are you? And she thought, I don't have a clue. Now, he said, that's right. That's why you're here. Sheila continued, I measured myself by what other people thought of me. That was slowly killing me. Before I entered hospital, some of the 700 club staff said to me, don't do this, you will never again, you will never regain any kind of a platform. If people know who you were, that you were in a mental hospital, an institution, and on medication, it's over. She said, you know, it's over anyway. So I can't even bother thinking about that. I really thought I'd lost everything, she said. My house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found life. I discovered at the lowest moment in my life that everything was true about me, God knew. At our lowest point, God knows. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So no matter what we're going through, he's there. And when I had enough story once that said, when you reach the bottom, all you can do is look up and there's a God waiting to help us. Remember God knew us before we were even born. We can't hide from him. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. We are uniquely and wonderfully made. We need to listen to his voice and his expectations and not those around us. Trying to live up to others' expectations can draw us away from where God intends us. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to anybody. We need to confess our sins one to another. We need to open up. We need to get real with one another. But be careful. Make sure that one which you open up to loves you with a Jesus kind of love, agape love, unconditional love. They're the ones you can open up to because they're for you, not against you. So I can take my mask off, be the man God called me to be because my Father in heaven loves me unconditionally because he is a good, good father. My third point is be careful who you open up to. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20, a tree and its fruit. Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, but a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, when a thief comes to rob your house, he covers himself so you can't be recognized. He puts on a balaclava or a hoodie or something. 
I was going to do all that this morning, but I left it a bit late to get it organised. It only came to me last night while Pastor Lynette was preaching, and I thought, oh, I need to get a mask and get all, you know, do the whole thing. But I said, why do you leave it to the last minute to organise? So anyway, it didn't happen. But anyway, you get the picture. We put on a false mask to cover up who we really are. And that's what a thief does. When he comes to rob you, to steal something from you, he covers up so you can't see who he is. Now, when Satan comes, he masquerades as an angel of light, that his heart is to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. Jesus wants to build your life on a strong foundation. Satan wants to come and pull it down and destroy it. But far greater is our God. Now, for uh, if you want to do a bit more of a study on that, just especially for our life group leaders, there's some readings here in Proverbs you can just jot down. I won't go to them, just jot them down. Proverbs 15, 1 to, 5, 1 to 5. Proverbs 16, 28. Proverbs 20, 19. Proverbs 21, 23. All speak about the same thing. Yeah, Solomon had the wisdom to know just how to deal with different situations. Be careful who you talk to. By their fruit, you will know them. Be wary of gossipers, busybodies, backslappers. I had a friend once after church, this bloke come and put his arm around and said, that was a good message, brother. And during that week, he stabbed him in the back with something. He'd gone to the, the pastor of the church and had a complaint about him. And yet after church, he was telling him how good he'd done. And so the pastor come and seen him. He said, oh, I believe on Sunday you did this. And I did, you know. So he went to his friend and said, oh, I didn't, I didn't see the knife in your hand when you put your arm around me the other day. So, so be careful of backslappers. We need to be real with people, but we need to be honest to love people with Jesus' love, an honest love, an unconditional love, so that we can grow. This is what this season we're in is all about, growing and prospering in Jesus, that we can become the people that God's called us to be. So, so be careful who you share intimate, deep things with in your life. Make sure you trust them, that they love you with the love of Jesus. As we grow in knowing who God is, then we can discover who we are. As we grow and we mature in discovering who we are, then we can be used by God to reach others. A little story that I wasn't sure whether I'd re- share today because... Close to my heart, this story, because it was something that happened to me on the very last word that I had with my dad. All the family were called in. He was lying on his bed, motionless, on the edge of death. And um, I went over to him and I grabbed him by the hand and his hand was cold. And I knelt around and I whispered in his ear, keep your eye on Jesus, Dad. He loves you. And he squeezed my hand. That was awesome. So this story is pretty close, so I'll get a bit emotional, it is. <laughs> then a story from, from Mark Yekinselli in his book called Messy Spirituality. That sounds like church sometimes, doesn't it? Messy Spirituality. This was a young bloke. He was 40 years of age. And he was part of this church. And this church, is, the youth group of this church, went every month at the River Road Church. They visited the Holcomb Manor a local nursing home to hold church services for the, the, the residents. 
Daryl, he was a reluctant youth group volunteer. He did not like nursing homes. For a long time, he avoided the monthly services. But when a flu epidemic depleted the group of sponsors, Daryl agreed to help out with the next few services as long as he did not have to do anything during the program. During the service, Daryl felt awkward and out of place. He leaned against the back wall between the residents, between two residents in wheelchairs, just as the service finished and Daryl was thinking about a quick exit. Someone grabbed his hand. Startled, he looked down and saw a very old, frail, obviously lonely man in a wheelchair. What could Daryl do but hold a man's hand? The man's mouth hung open. His face held no expression. Daryl doubted whether he could even hear or see anything. And as every, everyone began to leave, Daryl realised that he didn't want to leave the old man because Daryl had been left many times himself in his life. Caught suddenly off guard by his feelings, Daryl leaned over and whispered, I'm, um, I'm sorry, I have to leave, but I'll be back, I promise. And without warning, the man squeezed Daryl's hand and then let go. As Daryl's eyes filled with tears, he grabbed his stuff, started to leave. Inexplicably, he heard himself say to the old man, I love you. And he thought, where did that come from? What's the matter with me? Daryl returned the next month, and then the next month after that. And each time it was the same. Daryl would stand in the back. Oliver would grab his hand. Daryl would say he had to leave. Oliver would squeeze his hand, and Daryl would say softly, I love you, Mr. Leake. As the months went on, about a week after the, as the months went on, about a week before the nursing home service, Daryl would find himself looking forward to visiting the, his aged friend. On Daryl's sixth visit, the service started, but Oliver still didn't come in. Daryl didn't feel too concerned at first because it often took the nurses a long time to wheel everybody out. But halfway through the service, Daryl became alarmed and he went to the head nurse. He said, I don't see Mr. Leake here today. Is he okay? The nurse asked Daryl to follow her and led him to room 27. Oliver lay in bed, his eyes closed, his breathing uneven and laboured. At 40 years of age, Daryl had never seen someone dying, but he knew that Oliver was near death. Slowly he walked to the side of the bed and grabbed Oliver's hand. When Oliver didn't respond, tears filled Daryl's eyes. He knew he might never see Mr. Leake again. He had so much he wanted to say, but the words wouldn't come out. He stayed with Oliver for about an hour. Then the youth director gently interrupted to say they were leaving. Daryl stood and squeezed Mr. Leake's hand for the last time. I'm sorry, Oliver. I have to go. I love you. As he unclasped his hand, he felt a squeeze. Mr. Leake had responded. He had squeezed Daryl's hand. The tears were now unstoppable, and Daryl stumbled toward the door, trying to regain his composure. A young woman was standing at the door, and Daryl almost bumped into her. And, oh, I'm sorry, he said. I didn't see you. It's all right, she said. I've been waiting to see you. I'm Oliver's granddaughter. He's dying, you know, she said. Yes, I know. I wanted to meet you, she said. 
When the doctor said he was dying, I came immediately. We've always got on so close. They said he couldn't talk, but he's been talking to me. Not much, but I know what he's saying. Last night he woke up. His eyes were bright and alert. He looked straight into my eyes and said, please say goodbye to Jesus for me. And he laid back down and closed his eyes. He caught me off guard. And as soon as I gathered my composure, I whispered to him, Grandpa, I don't need to say goodbye to Jesus. You're going to be with him soon. And you can say hello to him. Grandpa struggled to open his eyes again. This time his face lit up with a smile. And he said clearly, as I'm talking to you, I know, but Jesus comes to see me every month. And he may not know that I've gone. He closed his eyes and he hadn't spoken since. I told the nurse what, what he'd said and she said that there'd been a man coming every month to see him and holding his hand. So I wanted to thank you for him and for me. And, well, I never thought of Jesus as being chubby and bald as you. But I imagine that Jesus is very glad to have you be mistaken for him. I know Grandpa is. Thank you. You know, there's nothing any of us can't do. We might think that we can't do great and wonderful things, but we can hold someone's hand. We can be Jesus to them. We are his hands and feet here on this earth. But I'll just finish with a couple of readings from Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And also over to Philippians 3, just over the page 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I know I do not consider myself yet to have been taken hold of it, but one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straighting toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now God's not finished with us yet. We know we're not to where completion is yet. That won't be till we get home. Each one of us is different and unique. And we can get real before our God. We can take off our face mask. We don't have to pretend. Father, I'm struggling with this. Father, I need help with this. I don't understand this. So get real and come before him. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his word. His word is truth. His word brings life. He's not finished with us yet. So who am I? I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. I'm under new management. I'm a work in progress. I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I am who, Father, you say I am. Now I can take off my mask and I can be real because now I know who he is Therefore, now I know who I am. I am a child of his. Thank you, Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for everything you did for us on that cross. We thank you, Lord, that you know all about us. 
Lord, when we stand before you, we're just so transparent. You can see right through us. And yet, Father, there you are with your arms outstretched toward us saying, come, just as you are come, I will give you rest. Father, we seek you. Just reveal to us, show us what it is that you would have us do this week. Show us those ones that we can minister to. Show us those ones that we can pray for. Show us those ones that we can love with your love. People come and share things with us, Father. Help us not to be judgmental, but help us, Lord, to love, to minister to them through the love of Jesus, to share your precious word with them. So, Father, we commit this week into your hands. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. So if anyone would like prayer, we'll just open up the altar. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.